Well, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, welcome. I appreciate you taking the time to listen and check us out. If you're a regular listener, welcome once again. I'm your host, Randy Duncan, and we are making our way through the book of Genesis verse by verse. We're in chapter 6, and last episode we ended at verse 10. And in that episode, we discussed the 120 years mentioned in verse 3 and a couple of possibilities for what those might represent. We also discussed that the wickedness of man now permeated all of society, and now God is about to bring judgment upon the people. But, as the Bible tells us, Noah found favor in God's eyes because he was righteous. And so that brings us now to verse 11, which is where we'll now pick up. So verses 11 and 12 read, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And it says that the earth had become corrupt in God's sight. And that Hebrew word for corrupt here, it means to to spoil or to disfigure or to decay. It's not a very flattering term. But it also says that the earth was filled with violence. And again, that Hebrew word for violence that is used denotes a sinful violence and an extreme violence. Notice that the picture being painted is not limited to a proverbial, you know, sort of rough part of town. It's like this everywhere. So verses 11 and 12 are a basic recap of what we discussed last time regarding the evil and the wickedness and the extent to which it existed at that time. Remember, the Bible tells us repeatedly that all the thoughts of man were only evil continually. And we touched on that in the last episode. In verse 13 reads, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so here we begin to reach the part of the story that you know so many f- people are familiar with, as God gives Noah instructions on how he is to construct the ark. And that will be what I spend the majority of this episode discussing, the ark. Because there is so much misperception and misunderstandings regarding the ark. And so God continues in verses 14, 15, and 16 saying, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Now, I'm going to discuss the ark and its construction for a few minutes here. I mean, that is going to be the primary focus of this episode. But first, I need to dispel all of the silly notions and these images that people conjure up in their mind when they think of the ark. So, for example, although it makes for cute baby nursery themes and decorations, and it makes for maybe warm and inviting and cozy Sunday school rooms for children's church, the image of the ark bursting at the seams with giraffe heads poking out of the windows is just silly, and it's nonsensical. It's not at all what Scripture describes. That's a a babyish caricature of the reality of the ark. And like I said, that's fine when you're talking about babies and toddlers. The problem is, is that at some point, you have to graduate from that picture. 
and that understanding of the ark. And you have to move on to a more realistic and scriptural understanding of the ark. But unfortunately, many people never move on from the ark that they were surrounded with and exposed to as a child. Well, now is as good a time as ever to do just that. So here we go. Noah is told to build the ark using gopher wood. Unfortunately, we don't know for certain what type of wood this was. Our best guess is that it was most likely cypress wood. And this is a reasonable guess for a couple of reasons. First, because cypress has similar consonants as the Hebrew spelling. And then second, because the ancients used cypress in their building of boats due to its resistance to rot. Noah was also told to cover the ark inside and out with pitch, which was a common practice in ancient times as it was a way to waterproof boats. But let's talk about the size of the ark. And actually, it's pretty easy to figure out. God tells Noah to build it 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Now all we need to know is how long a cubit is. Historically, a cubit represented the length from your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. Now there were various cubits that could have been used, such as the Egyptian cubit, the Babylonian cubit, etc. And each of those was slightly different, but most people assume an 18 inch cubit. So if we too assume an 18 inch cubit, that would have made the ark 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. I mean, that is massive, especially if you consider that period of history. Now think about 450 feet long. I mean, that's the length of a football field and then half of another. In other words, it wouldn't fit inside a single football stadium in this country. As far as the width of the ark, it was 75 feet wide. And just to give you a, maybe something to compare it to, the White House is only 85 feet wide. And then regarding the height of the ark, it was 45 feet tall, which it's equivalent to a four-story building. I mean, if you've ever go and you stay in the kind of the typical Holiday Inn Express, they're usually about four stories. So that gives you a bit of a comparison to the height of the ark. So bottom line, the ark was massive. In fact, the longest confirmed wooden ship in history was the Wyoming. It was built in 1909, and it was one foot shorter than the ark. But don't think of the ark as a ship. Think of it more like a barge. I mean, this wasn't supposed to be like a year-long carnival cruise for Noah and his family with all the modern comforts we demand. No, this was a barge. It was just meant to hold a lot of cargo and simply stay afloat until the water had subsided. Now, once you start to get an understanding of how large the ark was and the dimensions of the ark, then we can start to ask, well, how much could the ark actually hold? Well, considering that the volume of the ark was about 1.5 million cubic feet, that would equal the carrying capacity of over 500 railroad cars and a train about five miles long. So we need to get past, we need to move past these nursery school images of the giraffes and the elephants barely squeezing in having any room. Well, let's talk about the stability of this massive ship or this barge. Well, the ark was constructed on a one to six ratio, meaning it was exactly six times as long as it was wide. Remember, it's 50 cubits wide, 300 cubits long. And this one to six ratio, it falls right in line with the engineering of today's large ocean freighters. Look, Many studies have been conducted on the dimensions of the ark, and the conclusions are all the same. The ark, with the dimensions described in the Bible here, with this 1 to 6 ratio, 
was a very stable vessel. God also instructs Noah to construct the ark with a lower, middle, and upper decks. So there were three levels. Each level would have had over 33,000 square feet of space, bringing the total to right about 100,000 square feet in the ark. I mean, think about that. 100,000 square feet, that would have made it the second largest house in America behind Biltmore. Now, even though I can describe the size of the ark and maybe try to use some analogies so that you can appreciate the size of the ark, if you want to actually see it for yourself, you can actually do that. The organization AIG, which stands for Answers in Genesis, they've constructed an exact two-scale replica of the ark. It's located in Williamstown, Kentucky, which is about halfway between Cincinnati and Lexington. I've been to see it a couple of different times now. And although I don't agree with much of what Answers in Genesis teaches about many things, what they've done with the art construction is really amazing. Now, you may agree or disagree with some of their interpretations regarding the age of the earth, but there's no denying that the ark experience is a first-class setup. So even if you're not a, a young earth creationist, it's worth the trip to see the ark with your own eyes. Or, if you can't make the trip, then just Google it. You can Google Ark Encounter, or you can go directly to arkencounter.com, where you can at least see some pictures of it. Notice in verse 16 that Noah was told to make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. Now, some translations, such as King James Version, say make a window in the ark, and, and this does seem to be a more accurate translation. Although, we should probably not think of the window as being just a little peephole or something, but actually more like a transom that probably is running the length of the ark. And this would have provided for both light and ventilation. But I want you to focus on verse 17 here for just a second. Verse 17, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Now, I'm going to go into this more in detail in the next episode when we start actually talking about the flood. But a question for you to ask yourself and maybe to begin thinking about is, what was the extent of the flood? In other words, was it worldwide? Was it global? Universal? Was it regional or local? If you've never stopped and done a serious study of this question, it's well worth your time to do so. And you might be surprised at what you learn. Now, to whet your appetite regarding this question, consider verse 17 where it says, Everything that is on the earth shall die. Now this verse is pointed to by many to prove that the, the flood was global, meaning it covered the entire earth. However, I want you to consider a couple of examples elsewhere in scripture that refer to, quote, all the earth. Genesis 41 verse 57 says, And moreover, quote, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. And when we read that, are we to think that people from literally all over the earth came to Egypt? Did people really come from places like, say, Australia and Mexico to buy grain from Egypt and that there was a famine over the entire earth? Does that mean that there was a famine in China and in Greenland and Japan just like it was there in Egypt at the time? Another example, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 24 says, And the, quote, whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. And again, 
Are we supposed to understand this to mean that, that people from literally all over the earth came to hear Solomon? That they came from North America, Australia, and Iceland? Now certainly, they came from many countries and far away. We know that. For example, we're told that the Queen of Sheba came to hear Solomon, and she was from Africa. But the whole world? And then just one more example, this one from the New Testament, from a story that many of you guys are familiar with, especially at Christmas time. And it comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, quote, all the world should be registered. Again, are we supposed to interpret the Bible here as trying to communicate to us that Caesar Augustus is attempting to register everybody in the entire world? So in those three examples, and, th and there are others, when it says all the earth or all the world, we know it doesn't literally mean the whole earth or the whole world. What we have to understand is exactly what it does mean. I mean, what is being communicated? How is this language being employed here in the Bible? And we also need to understand that this type of comprehensive language can be used for a more limited situation. But again, this is something we're going to pick up in the next episode when we get into some of the details regarding the extent of the flood. I just want you to be considering that when the Bible says that the entire earth was covered with water, it may not mean exactly what you think it means. Verses 18 through 21 read, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them." Now, there's not a lot of commentary needed on those verses. They're pretty self-explanatory. We see that Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives are to be taken on board the ark. And then also, Noah's to bring on board two of every animal in order to keep them alive once they disembark. Same thing for the birds and for the rodents. Noah's also responsible to bring along enough food for the humans and the animals. One thing I would point out there is Notice that Noah doesn't have to go around the countryside with a lasso rounding up animals. Verse 20 says that two of every sort shall come to you. God will send them to Noah. Noah doesn't have to go round them up. And then the last verse in this chapter simply says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. This might be the most important verse of the chapter. Noah did all that God commanded him. If only the same could be said of each of us. I mean, how many of us do all that God commands of us? I mean, do you? I know I don't, and I know I haven't in the past. But I can tell you, I have learned that when I do, things generally tend to work out a little better for me. If you truly believe in God, and you enjoy fellowship with Him, and believe that He can, in fact, impress upon you His will for your life, then why wouldn't you do what you feel God is leading you to do? I mean, I can think of several reasons we come up with, but none that really justify our not trusting in God. I mean, He is God after all. He sees the future. We don't. He exists outside of time. 
We don't. And just like Noah does here, we should also trust God with what's coming, with the unknown, and what God wants to accomplish through each of us. In the next episode, we'll see what happens once the door to the ark gets closed, and as I mentioned, we'll discuss the possible extent of the flood. But between now and then, you think about this. To get on board the ark, there was only one door. You entered through that door, or you didn't get in. And if you didn't enter in, you were in trouble once the judgment and the floodwaters came. Jesus said in John 10:9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Thomas Aquinas once said, There is but one church in which men find salvation. Just as outside the ark of Noah, it was not possible for anyone to be saved. Listen, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do so. As the Bible teaches us in Acts 4 verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As always, thank you for joining me, and I hope you'll join me again for the next episode as we discuss Noah's flood. Until then, have a great week, and God bless.